0: in Conversations, a podcast for electricians, hosted by an electrician. The Electrical Association is committed to keeping electricians in the know about the latest developments in the industry. Experts will be on to help answer the tough
1: questions, talk shop, and give tips to help make your jobs work. Welcome, listeners, to another podcast presentation of and Conversations. This is a presentation of the Electrical Association. I'm Mike Miller, your host, and I'm pleased to let you know today that our guest is Mr. Tom Revenue, a shareholder of the law firm of Peters, Revenue, Kappenman, and Anderson of Minneapolis. Tom's practice areas lie in labor relations, employment law, labor and employment litigation, benefits, and corporate law. Welcome to our podcast today, Tom. Uh, You bring to our show a wealth of legal credentials and experience as a labor relations attorney. Please share with our listeners some of your specific interests in law. Well,
0: thanks, Mike, and thanks to the Electrical Association for having me today. Uh, Just by background, I've been practicing labor and employment law for 28 years. And throughout that time, I have represented employers exclusively in labor and employment matters. And I would say between 40 to 50% of my practice entails representing construction contractors on a whole host of issues, uh, whether it's union organizing campaigns, whether it's the the picketing that takes place at the job sites. Certainly, I've been involved in the negotiation and drafting of project labor agreements uh, when our clients have no choice uh, but to enter into a PLA.
1: Okay, Tom. I'd like to jump into our questions. And the first one I'd like to run by you is from time to time, project labor agreements come up among contractors and entrepreneurs. Though many of our listeners may have a preconceived notion of what PLAs are, please give our listeners yours views on what a project labor agreements really are. So
0: essentially, let's just start with what a project labor agreement is. It's essentially where merit shop contractors are forced to agree to be bound by a union's collective bargaining agreement as a result of performing work either for a government entity or performing work for a, a private entity. And through a project of labor agreement, the merit shop contractor is agreeing to be bound by the terms of a collective bargaining agreement for the duration of the project. And as a result essentially what merit contractors, merit shop contractors do is they're required to recognize the union as uh, the employee's representatives. They're oftentimes required to use the union hall to obtain labor and exclusively hire union apprentices to do the work. As part of a project labor agreement, they're going to be bound to follow the union work rules that are contained within the applicable collective bargaining agreement. And of course, under most uh, collective borrowing agreements in the construction industry, uh, there are union health and welfare plans and pension plans that the merit shop contractors will be required to pay into. And oftentimes what merit shop contractors overlook is the fact that not only would they be paying into the union health and welfare and the pension plans, but of course, they'd still have to maintain the obligations that they have for their employees, whether it's under a 401k plan or the company health insurance plan.
1: Well, that's amazing. I can't believe it. That leads me to my next question. In the interest of conserving construction costs, wouldn't the government or anybody for that matter insist that all qualified bidders be able to provide proposals on projects other than just union contractors?
0: Well, I I certainly agree with what you're driving at, Mike, is that essentially... Uh, that the project labor grants do drive up the costs, and there's a, a recent study that came out uh, not too long ago, where a group looked at uh, they studied government projects uh, between the period of two thousand nine and two thousand twenty one, and they looked at two thousand large scale projects, and fifty percent of those were were non union, and the fifty uh, percent were union, but Within that study, they found that 12 of those 2,000 large-scale projects were forced to use project labor agreements, and the study showed that the PLAs reduced competition amongst uh, the contractors. It increased the cost. There were construction delays and litigation ensued. And in fact, that uh, study showed that the cost increased between 12 to 20% uh, had they not used a project labor agreement you would think in the the world of inflation that we are faced with, that the government would be looking at all ways to control the cost and look out
1: for the taxpayers. Boy, I sure agree with you on that. You know, prior to our show, we talked a little bit about some of the information that President Biden had introduced relative to PLAs. What can you share with us about that?
0: Sure. So as many people may know, President Biden on February 2nd signed an executive order which essentially mandates that federal construction projects that have a total cost of $35 million or more will be required to use project labor agreements. And based on that executive order, it's estimated that $262 billion in projects will be impacted, and 200,000 employees will also be impacted as a result of this executive order. Within his executive order, not only did he say that construction projects that cost more than $35 million or more will be required to use PLAs, he also built in a caveat that federal agencies can also uh, require the use of PLAs even for those projects that are below the $35 million threshold. And essentially under that executive order, it will mean that all contractors and subcontractors will be bound by a project labor agreement and that those project labor agreements will have to have certain aspects contained within them, including guarantees against uh, job actions, strikes, and lockouts, but also arbitration procedures, which resolve disputes that occur on on the job site. The thing that I want to point out to the listeners is there are some exceptions, and those exceptions can be waived by a senior official within the federal agency. And of course, we're still waiting for the regs to come out, but those exceptions include projects that are a short duration and lack complexity. They have exceptions for those projects that involve only one craft, exceptions for specialized construction work that's available only from limited sources course, they say where PLAs would be impracticable. And of course, if the PLA is going to frustrate full and open competition, the senior official within the agency certainly can have an exception to the, to the PLAs. And so I think there's some things that contractors can raise with the agencies up front. Another important aspect, uh, President Biden's executive order that I think contractors need to be aware of, is that this project to labor agreement does not mandate that you have a project labor agreement with a specific union. So as an example, if you have the IBEW is approaching you to sign a project labor agreement and you'd rather do the work under another trade organization, such as a CLA, you could have the project labor agreement through that trade organization or that uh, union rather than the IBEW. Um, Bottom line is, it's going to add to significant costs I think to the taxpayers, and it's going to impose a lot of obligations upon merit shop contractors that may not be used to working under a union agreement. One last piece to uh, keep in mind with President Biden's executive order is that there's a provision within the executive order that all contractors that are working under a project labor agreement, a list of those contractors will be published by the federal government. And so, Merit shop contractors will immediately be a target uh, for the building trades because the building trades will know who's doing the work under a project labor agreement and look to, you know, to attempt to organize them as a result of them being on the list. We uh, we don't know much more about the executive order right now. The government is supposed to come out with proposed regulations by June 4th, and we could have final regulations issued around Labor Day, which will give us more definition as to how these project labor agreements uh, that are mandated by the executive order will impact contractors. Uh, The order was effective immediately, but essentially the solicitations for contracts will be impacted after the effective date of the
1: final regulations being issued. There's no doubt that PLAs are going to take things over. But you know, in the interest of understanding The dollar is a dollar. And you know what? If a PLA is going to raise the cost of that project, I would like to think that at some point in time, we'd recognize that what was once a dollar is now a dollar fifty because we have organized labor calling the shots. We as merit shop contractors can offer the same quality of work, timing and material. But recognizing PLAs are here to stay, can you give our listeners any reason, good or bad, that an entity would insist on constructing standards following the PLA based on labor staffing over the concept of using merit shops with proven track records for quality workmanship, on-time completion, and their fair labor practices for their employees?
0: Yeah. And that's that's a great question. And in essence, uh, what what you'll see is that the unions will argue that by having project labor agreements, they can ensure that there's peace on government projects. And I think that's misleading. As I indicated earlier, uh, studies have shown that on projects, government projects where there are no PLAs, there really aren't issues with regard to labor peace or projects being done on a a timely basis. In fact, the studies show just the opposite, that it's those projects that are operating under a PLA where there are reports of labor unrest, poor quality, and cost overruns. And I can't emphasize enough that uh, there have been studies that show that project labor agreements increase the cost of 12% to 20% uh, versus had they been done through open and free competition. And just uh, to go back to your comment earlier, I wholeheartedly agree with you that the more the general population is aware of what a project labor agreement means and how it impacts them as taxpayers, they're not interested in, in the PLAs because they see that it's really just trying to protect the unions and it doesn't provide the general public with a better quality project or uh, lower cost. In fact, it's just
1: the opposite. Well, Tom, I know you kind of alluded to this a little earlier in the conversation, but I'd just like to ask you another one. Does a PLA apply to all trades on the project or may the owner negotiate with subcontractors or exclude them from the mandates of the PLA?
0: Yeah, great great question. And it's really going to be dependent upon uh, the owner and and the project labor agreement. And I will tell you that most project labor agreements are going to require that all of the trades are covered under the project labor agreement. However, having said that, I've certainly been involved in some project labor agreements or seen project labor agreements that will specifically exclude certain type of work. And it may be that the work has to be done by a specialty contractor and that specialty contractor is non-union as an example. But certainly there is some movement for negotiation under the uh, PLAs before they're drafted. But rest assured that the building trades are going to try to cover everything and every one. And it's going to be dependent upon the owner to negotiate something other than all trades being covered under the project labor agreement.
1: Okay, Tom, moving on to the next one. Are you aware of any arguments or by organized labor that project labor agreements are not good for union workers?
0: I actually am. Uh, there's a, a scenario where cert- certain uh, unions are excluded from performing work under a project labor agreement. So to give you an example, the city of Duluth has requirements that construction work be done by the building trades, and in essence what that means is that if you are not signatory to one of the building trades, you cannot perform work for the city of Duluth. Uh, So as an example, uh, up in northern Minnesota, there are a lot of contractors that are signatory to the Christian Labor Association and the CLA is a labor union and the CLA has been excluded from performing the work under the project labor agreement. And that's uh, one good example of where uh, PLAs are not good for union workers, even if they belong to a specific trade, they're not allowed to perform the work because they don't belong to the right union.
1: Interesting. Well, Tom, if you had a crystal ball and could see into the future, perhaps 2032, can you give us a projection on where you would see the labor market going as far as PLAs are concerned?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And you know, I, I firmly believe that the more the general public knows about the project labor agreements, the less interested they are. And the more our politicians are educated as to what a project labor agreement means and the impact that it has on taxpayers, I think, the less interested they are to a certain extent. Additionally, there are a lot of legal challenges taking place around the country with regard to project labor grants. And some of the listeners may recall that there was a case uh, that was decided by the Supreme Court not too long ago uh, that involved public employees and those public employees being required to pay union agency fees. And that was a Janus decision that was decided by the Supreme Court not too long ago. And essentially in the Janus case, the Supreme Court said, that the First Amendment prohibits non-consenting public employees from being required to pay union agency fees. And I do believe that a lot of project labor agreements may run afoul of the Janus decision, uh, particularly if they're not carefully drafted, because oftentimes they force employees to join a union that they don't want to join. And that's essentially the government forcing these employees to join an association that they don't want to, which would be a violation of the First Amendment. So looking uh, into the crystal ball, and perhaps I'm optimistic, but I do think that hopefully PLAs will become uh, less of an issue, you know, certainly 10 years from now as the general public is educated and they realize what the additional costs be to us as taxpayers.
1: It's firms like yours that help give the contractors a fair playing field. I think that's so important in this world where it's tough to find representation that's going to do the job that I need them to do to protect me and make sure I have work coming down the line. Without people like you doing your job, we'd be in trouble. So on behalf of the association, I'd like to thank you for all the things you do for contractors. We need more people like you, Tom. So... As we draw close to another ending of the podcast, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on Project Labor Agreements. As I mentioned, Tom is an attorney for the law firm of Peters, Revenue, Kappenman, and Anderson in Minneapolis. Tom, I believe this information needs to be heard by all based on the choices entrepreneurs make and the selections of job contractors. Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with?
0: Yeah, uh, the the closing thought that I would have is you know work with your association when it comes to when you're working on a project and as you're going through the project, uh, oftentimes the government gets involved and in the, and the building trades get involved and oftentimes there are public meetings and in those public meetings uh, the building trades are pushing for project labor agreements and I think it's imperative that the politicians, whether it's the school boards or, or the city council members, what have you, that they hear from merit shop contractors and how the project labor agreements will impact you as a business and what it really means as far as the additional costs and what have you. And keep in mind that, you know, from a national perspective, nationally, the uh, percentage of Merit shop contractors as compared to union contractors, there's a significant difference. Only 12.6% of private contractors nationally are unionized. And there's a good reason for that. But work with your trade association. If you hear wind that a government is thinking about a project labor agreement or an owner is thinking about a project labor agreement, reach out to your association, reach out to your attorneys. I'd be happy to to help you out on that because you can educate the owners, you can educate the the government, and the more they know about project labor agreements, the less interested they are. And I'll reference one website that gives you more information, and it's www.thetruthaboutplas.com, great source of information that you can provide to the owners so that they have an understanding of how PLAs are anti-competitive, and they restrict free and open competition.
1: Well, thanks very much, Tom. Uh, I hope you have an enjoyable day and you have really done a great job informing our audience and our listeners of PLAs. I'd also like to thank Katie Grahams, our producer, and Travis Lennox, our sound engineer. I'd like to thank you, our listeners, for being here today and joining us. encourage you to check out your podcast source for future sparking Conversations. From the Electrical Association, I'm Mike Miller, your host. Have a great week. Thank you. Sparkin'
0: Conversations is a production of the Electrical Association. For more information, visit www.electricalassociation.com.